Hello and welcome to the Maricopa County Justice Court Mediator Update and Roundtable. Uh, this is the first time that we're, uh, again, in the, in the time of social distancing, and we're proceeding as a go-to-meeting, and I believe everyone is participating by, web, uh, by video. All right, somebody, Leticia, you need to mute. Uh, and the uh, recording will also be made available as a podcast so that it can continue to uh, be listened to. Uh, as always, the packet is in Hightail. There is a CoJet certificate attached at the end of the packet. Uh, we have an outstanding cast today. Uh, we do have uh, uh, the Justice of the Peace of the Year, uh, the Honorable Anna Huberman from the Country Meadows Justice Court. Uh, she is a great proponent of mediation. Our second judge is the Honorable Andrew Hedinger from the Moon Valley Justice Court. Uh, judge Hedinger is one of our uh, fairly new judges. He was elected three years ago. Uh, he's really gotten off to a terrific start. He's taken off to um, the program wonderfully. And uh, he was a full-time mediator for Pinal County Family Court, so he's got a, a tremendous background in mediation. Uh, Professor Art Hinshaw uh, is a frequent presenter for us, and, and he is from the Sandra Day O'Connor College of Law, one of the uh, biggest experts on mediation in the country, and as always, it is terrific to have him included as part of our program. Uh, Susan Dykoff, you all know, is our MCJC Administrative Pro Tem. Uh, she's a former law school professor and a former mediator uh, and uh, just brings tremendous skills and energy to, uh, to our program. And I, of course, am Charles Adonetto, the Judicial Education Officer. And so we will go ahead and kick it off with our uh, slideshow and we will start with Judge Huberman. All right, good morning. Thank you, everyone. Um, so, uh, I don't know if all of you have been following uh, since March, uh, once the, 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 the COVID-19 crisis hit and the national emergency was declared, our Supreme Court has been issuing a of administrative orders after the functioning of the courts. And we have gone through different stages of uh, what was allowed. And the number one issue has always been uh, for the Supreme Court is that the courts remain open. So even though our doors were closed to allowing people into the building, the court itself was still open to business. And so we needed to find different ways to be able to do that business, which didn't require people having to come into the building. And um, obviously our first reaction was just to continue everything and didn't hear anything. And so for the first couple of weeks, uh, only emergency matters were being heard. And then we had to find a better way to do things that could be done in a way to maintain social distancing. So the latest administrative order um, goes into effect on June 1st. Um, it um, 
we will go right now what the Supreme Court is calling we're in phase zero and on June 1st we're going to move to phase one so phase one does open the doors to certain um, proceedings uh, that, that have to be resolved in a matter that promotes social distancing no one can be uh, people have to stay six feet apart everyone must wear a, a mask or a face covering to come into the building and the court will actually not provide them so people have to bring their own if they want to come in to the building to do business um, and no more than 10 people are allowed and certain exceptions up to 30 but no more than 10 people are allowed to be in any gathering at any time that all goes into effect on june 1st but the underlying uh, provision here is that we want to still encourage social distancing and for me personally uh, that we have learned to do things that we had never done remotely to do them remotely has actually um, it's been a good experience you know it took us a while to get used to it it took us a while to to actually get the technology running this go to meeting is just started last week we're actually still waiting to get our own licenses to use it so right now we're all sharing on one license using somebody's password um, but eventually once the judges get their own go-to meeting uh, and they can set up their virtual courtrooms remotely with video i personally think that that's the way to go um, i think that it's easier to do it this way i, I don't know if you want me to talk about the trial now or or that comes at a later i think that comes at a later slide um, i did have the experience of doing a trial and it was actually very encouraging there are certain things that i think might be more difficult to do by video but i think that the job that the mediators do is something that clearly can be done with this platform and i actually think that doing it in the other this might end up being the solution uh, for the mediators um you know this backlog of cases you know like i said at the beginning we just continued everything for weeks and we are now slowly starting to get on or starting to hear cases and, and stop continuing uh, but obviously we have a backlog of everything that got continued plus everything new that was that was um that's been filed so i think that this is uh, a definitely a good time for all mediators who are willing uh, to help out the courts with this um there will be i think plenty of work to go around this for me also um so uh, well it says here the handling of bystanders uh attorneys not more than 10 people are allowed unless the judge allows you to do mediations actually in the courtroom i don't see any way that this can be done with social distancing um, taken into account because you already have that two at least two parties you might actually have an attorney plus the client so you're talking of four parties maybe an interpreter is five i mean you're talking about too many people to put them in these little rooms that normally mediators deal with um so just go back to what i already said before um 
So as to the trial, the way we did the trial, uh, we we did have one of the attorneys didn't have a camera, so he was able to see us, but we were not able to see the attorney. This conference will now be this conference is no longer being recorded. This conference will now be recorded. Ah, uh, they missed the best part of when I started, but oh well. Um, so, um, it, 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 I, I think that, that, you know, folks should be encouraged. And I think hopefully with everything changing, that attorneys, you know, can go out and buy a $20 webcam to put on their, on their computers so they will be able to appear uh, by video. They can always use their phones to use at least the video portion of it and then mute the phone and, 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 and see everything to the computer. So there are workarounds in a way that we can uh, be sure that everyone appears because I think that for certain proceedings, I talk about this more than I do, but I think that because of the informal setting that mediation provides, um, I think that the relaxed environment of being able to do it like we're doing this now, seeing each other, everybody sitting with their different backgrounds, I mean, that that might actually be very conducive to a mediation process, especially in, in these days where I can only imagine how difficult it must be for defendants to even have to try to resolve cases. You know, a lot of people who are being sued and especially because they owe debts that they've already had financial issues. You know, now those same people are probably in a worse situation than they were before, yet they're still being sued or they're still having to uh, respond or resolve cases that were started before this crisis. And I think that there is probably a great deal of emotion and I think there will be a great deal of that to deal with. I had a case the other day that that uh, it was actually, uh, it was already a case that had a, a judgment from years ago that the person was being garnished and her father just kept interrupting the phone call to say how unfair this was and that I shouldn't be allowed to be garnished her salary and that he was gonna call the media. I mean, I'm just bringing this up just to show how the emotions in these situations, I think are gonna be very challenging uh, for all of us. Uh, for the judges and definitely for the mediators because I think that a lot of the defendants are going to have a mediator. Whoever unmuted, please mute your phone. Muted. So we don't get feedback. Thank you. Um, especially, I, I think that, that, that they probably see the mediator as someone who's there to help them and they might try to uh, expect things from mediation that might not be uh, in your hands to do. Um, and I think that this, this run today, if this doing this class this way, will give you an idea of uh, how to how to do the questions. But I think in a smaller setting, uh, the fact that if you keep an eye on it and someone unmutes, that gives you an idea that they want to ask a question maybe. Or there's some features of, you know, raise your hand. It's kind of up to you how you want to control it. But if you are the person who's running the, the organizer of the meeting, you can just mute everyone and make sure that people don't interrupt if that's how you want to go about it. So there, you know, I, I, I think well, what's interesting about all this is that a lot of us, you know, all learned how to use this technology 
by speaking to our families. You know, the first couple of weeks after we were all um, under the stay-at-home orders, we were, this is the way we've been communicating with our families. Um, some of us communicating more often than we ever used to, right? We do weekly chats with my sisters and my mother and my nieces and my nephews, and we use this type of platform. And so I think a lot of people are a little bit more used to it than, than what would have been expected two months ago. Um, and that's about all. I guess the, the principles like, is the only thing that, that I see here that I didn't answer. But again, I think that's sort of what what uh, Charles Adornetto and Susan did at the beginning, establish what the ground rules are. When are you going to allow the question? When are you going to allow people? You know, you can just tell them, right now I'm going to talk. I'll Don't talk unless I call upon you. Or if you want to talk, raise your hand. However it is you want to do that and make sure that all that is very clear from the very beginning as to how this is going to work. Thank you. Thank you, Judge. And um, we're going to hear from uh, Professor Henshaw next. And the next, I'm going to ask him to um, to loop back on a couple of things. He, we were, we had a good, really good conversation before the meeting. I think that that's a good best practice. Is pre-game, pre-meeting, meeting. Um, but maybe address some of the nuts and bolts of how to mediate online. And I also know that several of you, Leticia, for example, Nima, uh, have mediated online and you have some good things to share about best practices, uh, nuts and bolts, things to watch out for. Art, are you available? Yeah. Can you hear me okay? Thumbs up? <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for having me. So it's a pleasure to talk with the uh, group of mediators at the Justice Court. Um, I think that uh, it's just a wonderful thing that the Justice Court to do this uh, for a number of reasons and just to sort of piggyback on what Susan and Ken were talking about uh, before. There are, a lot of good, there are a lot of good reasons for this. Um, one of them that I might have stepped away for is uh, to basically give power back to parties. Um, remember that the good thing about mediations are that people can not only just create their own kinds of resolutions, but they can do things that the courts are unable to do um, based on the equity jurisdiction that they don't really have. Um, and so, for instance, all of us have had some kind of case where somebody agrees to give something back to someone and things along those lines. Um, so that kind of power, I think, is, is really important. And to uh, piggyback on Judge Hedinger earlier, getting the people involved in determining their own outcomes is critical. As we well know, there's lots of research that says that parties are much more um, willing to do what they agree to than what they're told to do. I, all you have to do is think about your own experience. Um, and so the ability of people, or I shouldn't say ability, but the rate that people uh, follow through on what they've agreed to do uh, is, is much higher. So there are a couple things that I wanted to bring up um, in particular um, with mediating online. And the first thing is, um, as Judge Huberman said, this is very much now normal. In fact, if you had asked me three weeks ago, I had been having students um, do uh, research papers and presentations on online dispute resolution for a long time. And I was always one of those people who said, yeah, whatever. I mean, it's nice. It'll happen someday. But come on, it's not going to be that good. Mediation is really about personal interaction. It's just, it's just um, 
guess what? It actually is there. Um, so now that we're here in this world, um, I've changed my tune uh, on this. And I did it the hard way. I had to, um, in a week, take um, my classes and put them all online. And I didn't know. We've been, we called ourselves, in fact, a lot of law schools are proclaiming themselves as the Zoom University School of Law. Zoom is the platform that we use. And Zoom is really um, good and easy to use. I'm not familiar with um, this platform so much, and there are other platforms uh, that are out there. And although I haven't done any uh, live mediations on this, it sounds like Letitia has, um, I've done simulations with students, and it's fantastic. I'm really just surprised what you can do. Is it perfect? Is it ideal? I think the answer is no, but we don't live in perfect and ideal times, so we can't let the perfect get in the way of the good, and this certainly is good. So first thing um, that I want to say is practice the platform before you do any kind of a mediation. You need to get used to it and figure out what it does because everybody's going to be looking to you if there are problems. Um, and so you need to practice. You need to just get some friends, get your family members, get whomever, and say, let's practice this for five minutes and practice. You know, all right, is my microphone working? How, if I'm going to have headphones? Sometimes my um, speaker on my laptop is good, and sometimes I have to crank it up to 100, and I can barely hear it. Um, and so if I'm going to use if I'm going to use a microphone attached to some earbuds, practice doing those things. Practice getting uh, doing breakout rooms. Um, and, and I know on the Zoom platform, it's super easy to do because there's a person who's the host, I presume Susan or Charlie is the host. Uh, here, okay, Susan, you're the host today. And the host gets um, all kinds of, like a list of things that you can do, things that we as members can't see. Um, and so just practice doing them. You can share the screen. You see this, that the, sh the screen that we have here has these slides. I presume that there are going to be some documents. Now, there might be some problems when you have parties who have documents that they want to share that aren't on their laptop and things along those lines. Maybe um, it would be good to ask them, well, I was going to say text you, but you don't want to be giving your uh, cell phone out to uh, people who are uh, just the public randomly. So we would probably have to come up with some kind of a system for that, um, like what kind of documents that people are going to use. Maybe they can submit them to the court or something like that so that we could upload them uh, in some kind of way uh, for mediations. But documents that we have as mediators, we can certainly share uh, with them. So, for instance, when you're doing your opening uh, statement and you want to talk about the agreement to mediate form, you could put that uh, up on your screen so that everybody can see it. Right, and this is actually one of those places where the training that we have done, that we've received from just doing tons of telephonic mediations, really pays off. Um, and that is, it's very much the same. You're going to have to describe and read through documents and things along those lines, and you're going to have to sign these documents for parties because presumably we're not going to have DocuSign or something along those lines. Um, and as a reminder, when you are signing documents um, for other people, the best way to do it, not the only way, but the best way to do it is this, is, uh, okay, let's say that uh, 
number one, you ask for permission to sign their name. Why? Because it's their name that matters, not your name. Or, and I've seen some people do like telephonic on the forms and things like that. While that might work, you really want to get their signature on there. So you sign it yourself, right? All right, do I have permission to sign your name on this document? Everybody says yes. I've never had one person say no. And then you would sign that person's name. And after it, this is the important part, you'd say, by yourself, right? So um, if Susan Bullfinch is my mediator, she's going to say, she's going to sign my name. She's going to sign Art Hinshaw. And then she'll say, by Susan Bullfinch with permission. So it's a document that indicates that permission was granted in this particular situation because otherwise somebody could argue that they didn't agree to that. So they say, I didn't agree to that. That's not me. Um, so it's really important to do that. Um, so very important on the signing of documents. Confidentiality is a little bit different. Um, it's different in this way. We cannot guarantee, the courts can't guarantee it. Fortune 500, Fortune 2 companies can't guarantee full confidentiality in any kind of online environment. They can't, it's just not possible. Every, every computer security expert you talk to will say that things can get hacked. So we can't guarantee 100% confidentiality. What we can say is that we, that we who are participating in this call are, will guarantee confidentiality, but we can't guarantee it on behalf of the platform. So here it's GoToMeeting is the platform. We're using Zoom at the university. So we want to be explicit about that. And we might even, if we're going to do online mediations like this, we might want to change the form just a little bit um, to mention that. On a platform like Zoom and presumably on GoToMeeting, um, it's very easy to go into what they call breakout rooms, where you split your parties into rooms. It takes like maybe a minute. I've had to do it in classes of 30 people, so you're breaking them up into twos. That takes some time, but it's very easy to do. Um, and then you can do your caucusing uh, in these break breakout rooms, and so that part is pretty easy. The one thing that I want to say on doing um, caucusing is that using the chat function is essential. Um, and what do I mean by that? So let's say... Um, I'm the mediator, and uh, my parties were going into um, we're going into caucusing, and I'm going to start with the plaintiff. I could still chat with the defendant, and one of the things that I would want to do is I want to just say we're going to take a couple more minutes, hang loose. So that's number one, right? Just let them know that you haven't forgotten about them. Number two, let me get my fingers into the screen there. Number two, if uh, right, you don't want to just pop in on them because they're at home. Who knows what they're doing? We've all seen Saturday Night Live and things like that where somebody took the laptop to the bathroom with them. We don't want to surprise anybody in that kind of way. So what we want to do is we want to in the chat to say, I'm going to be joining you in two minutes. Give them a two-minute warning every time. Oops, something just fell off my wall back there. I don't know if you heard it. Um, anyhow, it's children, sorry, but anyway, it's good. So the um, so in the caucus thing, you really do want to make sure that you give people warning that you're going to come and talk with them before you just pop in because you don't want to surprise people and then you can't unsee whatever it is that you might see. Um, and I 
talked about the documents. And so the final thing is just in wrapping up. You know, you want to do the exact same things that you do on your telephonic mediation. You want to go through the document. If you're, you're probably not going to be able to um, have like an agreement or the forms necessarily online, like if you're typing up an agreement, I don't know that we're going to be able to do that. Maybe if you have a document, you can do something um, along these lines, right? Pull it up. I don't know how well you can see it. This, my handwriting is chicken scratchy here. Um, but you might be able to um, do it in a way that you can get close enough so that people can see what it is um, that you've written. Um, and if not, uh, maybe we need to talk about the procedure a little bit more. I know the private mediators who are doing this uh, are sending documents back and forth and getting approval to just double dog and make sure that everything um, is okay. So, uh, Susan, that's what I've got on that. Um, and if you want to uh, have somebody else um, join in, maybe Leticia or whatever your plan is, go right ahead. Thank, um, thank you, Art. That's great. And a bunch of things I hadn't thought about. Uh, well, let's let's hold off on that and and go ahead with um, unless there's a, let, let's go ahead with the next slide. We're going to talk about pretrial conferences. Well, I guess you're right. We're leaving online. I don't know, Charles. Do you think we should take a few minutes? Uh, if anyone wants to discuss this, uh, you're muted. Let me unmute you. Now leave me muted on the computer because I'm using the telephone. Can you all hear me? Can you all hear me? I'm on the phone. Oh, Susan, unmute. Oh, you're, you're muted. We can't hear you. Susan, I'm on. I'm caller number one on the it phone. It might be my end. Let me try to fix this. Susan, while you're doing that, can I ask Art a question on confidentiality? Okay, there's Charles. No, the problem is like... No, the problem is like... I called in and I was recording on my phone because there's a better connection, but you had me muted as caller number one. So I assume you can all hear me now? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I can keep. I can keep. Yeah. See, you're, the the recording is cutting out. So, don't don't mute me as caller number one. Okay. Um, and I think if if Art can explain the breakout rooms again, I didn't quite follow that. There's a thing at the bottom. So if you look at your laptop and your screen, you'll see on the bottom, it'll say like my camera screen and leave. Down there on Zoom, there's even more when you're the host. And one of them is breakout rooms. Um, and it will ask you, you want to do breakout rooms, and then you assign individuals to breakout rooms. So we would assign plaintiff to room one, defendant to room two. And if there are two defendants, defendant 
the second defendant would go into room three. And then the host has the ability to go into each room um, and it'll just, you can, it will ask you to join room three, join room one, join room two.
uh, that doesn't resolve the case, what happens. Um, and for them to be able to let the parties know that other things are expected of them and that they shouldn't just go home and wait for the trial date and then miraculously the trial date's going to come and it's just going to be able to convince the judge of their position and why they're right. Uh, because that's what people think. They think if you just give me the opportunity to tell the judge, you know, why I don't know this yet, that that is sufficient for them and that the judge will just understand their side of the story and rule in their favor. And so maybe being able to get some of this information uh, to the litigants um, could be important. A lot of the big issues we have with even non-represented plaintiffs is that the non-represented plaintiff doesn't know how to um, how to present their case in a way, again, that's not just, let me tell the judge how terrible this mechanic was and how, you know, my car didn't work afterwards. And he'll see by, he'll see, you know, that I'm totally right and he'll award me those $5,000. And it doesn't work that way because if they don't have the evidence or they don't have the witnesses to testify to the damages or whatever it may be, uh, they can't just prevail in their case. And so that is part of the idea of, uh, for, the, for the mediators to understand how the civil process works. And I don't know how much you want me to go into the civil process itself. Well, some of the mediators have asked me in the past, what happens after a case doesn't settle? I mean, exactly what happens? So, when, when the case doesn't settle, the case gets on, on the judge's calendar, gets set for trial. So the next setting that appears for the parties will be a trial setting. But in between the, 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 the first setting and the trial setting, there's a period of what we call discovery. So the discovery process is a process by which the parties can and must, they have obligations to disclose to the other party what evidence they have. So they have to give them the list of the witnesses. They have to show them all the documentation that they have. They have to um, explain um, what it is that they're going to be trying to to show with each part of the evidence that they're presenting. And that process is the, the defendants just get a, a, a document from the court saying you need to do this. And I can bet you that 80% of the time, no one complies with their disclosure uh, obligations. They do not tell them who their witnesses are gonna be. They do not bring the documentation or they bring them to the day of the trial, but they haven't given them prior to the trial to the other party. Just all of these things that happen. Additionally, the plaintiff or, or the defendant, they have a right to ask the other party questions. They can do their call interrogatory. That you can send a list of questions and say, you know, you have to answer these questions. If you don't answer them, they'll be deemed um, accepted. And everyone just routinely ignores those. And so a lot of times by the time that they get to trial, none of these things have been done. 
And if you have a savvy plaintiff uh, attorney, for example, they will preclude everything that will ask that the defendant not be allowed to present anything that they brought because they didn't disclose it appropriately during the disclosure, uh, during the discovery process. And so I think it's important at least that the parties know that there are other obligations that if they want to take their case to trial, they need to be able to comply with all of these other things that are needed. I don't want to go into a long process now, I don't think we have enough time to explain the whole process, the procedure, uh, but we could do a class on civil procedure at some point so everyone uh, is maybe more clear on what those obligations are. But understand that there are a series of things that have to happen before the day of trial because the idea is that we don't do trials by ambush, which means, you know, I don't want to give away my age, but when we used to watch Perry Mason, and at the last minute, the witness would walk in and have the alternative uh, facts of the case that made the defendant innocent, that really can't happen. Because if that witness existed and you were going to bring him to trial, you had to tell the other party that you were going to present them. You can't just surprise everybody at trial with things that had not been disclosed beforehand. So that, that is an important concept. And then additionally, there is uh, what we call a motion for summary judgment. So a judge can resolve a case on summary judgment, either dismissing or signing uh, uh, a judgment awarding uh, the claim by a summary judgment, which is when they think that there's no material facts to be resolved in trial. So if we're setting this case for trial, but this whole time there hasn't been an argument over, no, I don't owe the money. I just think it's not fair. I think they're charging me too much interest. I think that uh, they should have called me before they, 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 they filed the claim. Whatever it is they're saying, but they're saying nothing to resolve in the trial, you won't have a witness to come in to present something that is in dispute, then the parties can motion the judge to resolve the case by summary judgment. And the judge can, can do that. And so a lot of times we set a case for trial and the defendant is actually expecting his trial to happen. And then suddenly they get a judgment in the mail and the case was resolved by summary judgment. They never got their trial. Obviously, before the summary judgment is signed, they someone sent them the motion that comes with an affidavit, and they have to respond to that motion with an affidavit. But they didn't understand that. It's too complicated. None of that was done. They're just waiting for the daily trial. And, but then they're not going to have the trial because they ignored the summary judgment. So I routinely as part of my speech, let people know that even though we tell you that a case will be set for trial, aware that it may be resolved by a summary judgment, and if you get a motion for summary judgment, you must read it carefully and respond accordingly. So at least they're, they're advised that the case could be resolved even without the trial, even though that's the setting. Judge Hedinger, if you want to add anything?
Yeah, just to answer quickly uh, Ken's question, so disclosures do um, usually within 40 days after the defendant has filed an answer or at the time set by the court. Um, that's Rule 121A of the Justice Court Rules of Civil Procedure. That's kind of what governs the timing there. I would say if the parties don't reach an agreement, I think the number one most important thing to tell them is please be early slash on time to your trial. I can't tell you how often people just kind of stroll in 25 minutes late and they lost because they didn't show up on time. I think that's really important to make sure you communicate that to the parties, as well as making sure they exchange their witnesses, documents, et cetera, before the trial um, in accordance with Rule 121. I would also suggest talking to the judges that you mediate for about anything else they would like um, you to address with the parties beforehand. And then I would also just invite everyone to come watch a civil trial, see what it looks like, see the pacing, um, the fact that people don't just, as was mentioned previously, just get to tell their side of the story and say whatever they want. But if they have a witness, they have to ask the witness questions. The witness doesn't just get to put on a narrative. But it's really instructive to come in and watch a civil trial. And then I'd also be curious um, for Susan and Charlie to see what that mediator checklist looks like at the end. So the mediators are very clear kind of how to walk these parties through the process to get to the trial so they're not caught off guard by that. And, and I, yeah, I, uh, I, I, I want to emphasize. I, I understand that, but there are a whole bunch of attorneys in need that will use the Rule 121 as a cudgel on the pro per because they'll send theirs out prior to mediation and then demand to know where the other party's disclosure is. That's why I asked the question. So what you're saying is that disclosure, Rule 121, does not have to be done prior to mediation. It depends on where the mediation is in the process. Uh, it, the, the, medi the, the, the disclosure is due 40 days from the filing of the answer, so if the mediation is scheduled before then, then, then no. Uh, what, what I want to emphasize is, uh, you know, th there's concern that mediators can't do civil pretrial conferences. Well, that's because we should not be calling them civil pretrial conferences. We should call them post-mediation discussions. Uh, and that you are providing legal information. You're not providing legal advice. Um, so you're providing legal information as to what the process following this is going to entail up to, uh, you know, up to the trial. And if you're concerned that they start asking you questions that venture into legal advice, then go ahead and stop that. With respect to the mediator checklist that Judge Hedinger just referred to, that is where you, you should confer with the judge that you're doing the mediations for and find out how much they want you to, um, to discuss. Uh, for example, I did civil pretrials for years, and uh, there were a, a couple of things I talked to, and then I went to sit with Judge Gerald Williams, his civil pretrial uh, ca calendar, and he added the discussion of summary judgment motions. And it's like, wow, so now I talk about, by the way, if you get a motion for summary judgment, you, you need to respond. <laughs> so uh, talk to your judge about what should go on that mediator checklist. And again, stop calling them civil pretrial conferences. You cannot order anyone to do anything. You are just providing information. In the context, I'm just going to say, 
say as to the timing of the discovery, um, you know, in, in the in the manuals that our courts use, which is what the court clerks, uh, it's like the procedure that they follow, uh, normally they set them the, the, the pretrial conference date or the mediation date on the 40 days, usually on the same day that they uh, establish the, the when, when, when disclosure is due. And I have found that that created an issue because when they show up that day and they haven't filed disclosure, then no one is there to tell them, look, you haven't done this, now you can't do this anymore. So in my court, we tried to do the pretrial conference before the 40 days are up, so they always have that little bit of time. Not that it necessarily works, but at least we don't. Uh, so what he, to, to your point, Ken, that it doesn't, uh, that the, the attorneys can't use it against them in the mediation itself. Um, but that's something that you'd have to work out or you'd have to see what the judge that you're working for, how those dates are set up. You know, each court will do it differently, and so it kind of depends on how that court works. Um, you know, without getting into the realm of legal advice, um, I'm sure you could say something that, like, you know, I'm the mediator, I can't give you additional time for disclosure. You know, maybe hint at that the, the judge can, um, that they can ask the judge for more time if they want, but you as a mediator obviously can't allow them more time. In the in the packet we provided with the, uh, that I emailed out, um, you'll see some checklists. I think there were three types of mediator checklists that you could use for this post-mediation discussion. It's just legal information. There should be no decisions and no rulings, obviously. There is a form in there that you should never use, and we sent it to you to make sure that no one gave it to you and asked you to fill it out. It is a justice court um, pretrial conference form that the judges use when they handle a civil pretrial conference. So I put that in there just to make sure that in case you came across it, you knew that wasn't for us. Anything else on, on this topic and before we, I'm mindful of the time, so. Uh, just a quick question, just a clarification. So I cannot ever share that legal information until they decide there's no agreement. Because I, I can tell some cases, especially when there's a lawyer and there's not a, you know, no lawyer on the other side, that that lawyer is counting on that person's ignorance to kind of put some paper around. And I can tell that if that information was given before, uh, you know, there's a summary judgment that you know you're never, you're not, never going to get trial. That person might be more willing to, to negotiate, but I cannot share this legal information until there is until afterwards. Is that is that correct? I think you you can be careful about how you share that during a caucus, that would be a caucus thing I would mention, um, because we, the more push that you put on parties in caucus, the more, uh, I haven't got very few complaints, I'll let you know that, but they, they perceive that you're predicting the case and they'll complain to me that you're, that you're biased because you're telling them they're going to lose at court. And so um, I, I'll probably be careful about that, but it is helpful to know that's a possibility. 
single word. I wanted to say something very quickly, if I may, Susan. Oh, go ahead, Judge. <laughs> okay. Um, there's always confusion about what is legal information and what is legal advice. Um, and so one thing that I want to make the best example, and I've said it a couple times at some of these meetings, but I want to say it again because it really does capture it, and it is this. Legal information is, oh my gosh, the speeding limit is 55. That's the speed limit. That's legal information. Legal advice is, slow down your speeding. And so when you say this is the law, right, it's legal information. This is the procedure. That's legal information. If you then take that the next step, um, then you're, uh, you know, applying the law to the facts. Then you have a problem. The thing that you will find, though, is getting on what you said, Deborah. how um, there are some lawyers who want to sort of take advantage of the uh, non-represented party's ignorance, is that as soon as you say anything, they're like, you can't give them legal advice, right? And you know what? Just ignore them, because they're wrong. And, you know, I, I've, there are times where I've had some lawyers try to bully me around, and I say, well, let me give you your telephone number for Judge Susan Dykoff if you have a complaint. And I'll just go and say, here you go. I'm going to do this, and, you know, you can do what you're going to do later. And then they back off. Um, that doesn't mean to be hyper-aggressive with lawyers. It just means you're in charge, and you're the one who's running the process. So, anyway, that's my advice on those things. Information, not advice. And legal, yeah, legal information at any stage, I think, is always okay. I think you can do it at the beginning, middle, or end. And if in doubt, just pull out the rule and read it. Because then that's literally information. You know, hey, rule 121 spells out disclosure, and the judge may issue sanctions. And, but the judge doesn't have to issue sanctions. And I know, I mean, you probably shouldn't tell this, but just for mediators' knowledge and information, if there's something relevant that they fail to disclose, I'm usually going to let it in, you know, and it's, we're just going to deal with it. And if they really, it's a big surprise, and they need time to think about it, we can get to the case, no problem. We'll, we'll give you guys a couple weeks. We can come back and talk about it. And the attorney's like, no, let's just go ahead. And it's like, okay. So just for your information, don't share that. That's usually the way I, I do these things. Okay, just a reminder, the checklist we gave you are options. There's three different ones that came from different places, different courts. Uh, they're just options. So they're not, they're not the law. They're not required. They're not form, court forms or anything. Are we ready to move on? Yes? So I'm going to go through this quickly because I really want to hear more from Judge, uh, Judge Huberman and Judge Hemminger. But um, I did, you know, I always do the breakdown of the case dispositions for you. Um, what I'd like to point out on this slide is that there, um, see this will work properly. Ah, that is the number that settled the purple pieces and the, I'm sorry, the, um, and the, um, the blue is the ones that failed to settle. So I'd like to point out a couple of things here. More than half of the cases that get set for mediation actually come to the table. Um, and the, it, we have very consistent results over the last two years. And so this, um, this slide, sorry, I can't see both at the same time. This slide 
shows that um, we have the number of cases set for mediation and then the number of actually mediated. The settlement rate, I calculate it differently from Ken, and I appreciate the way he wants to do it, but I'm just doing it for our purposes. We have 60% of those who came to the table actually settled. Uh, last time, 58, 54% this time, very close. And then the notion of rate for the defendants, um, you'll see that there. So I'd say that what uh, Art Hinshaw and I have talked about are what are the national estimates for court annex mediation, and they range from 40 to 50, 80%. I think we're doing really well, um, and I think we continue to do really well. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm encouraged by those results. A special thanks to uh, Ken and Deborah and Susan, John, Scott, and Renee uh, for their service in the um, in the justice courts. You you guys are either have really high number, really high number of cases, or really high number of, of uh, hours, and so there's just a lot of service being given by everybody. If your name's not on there and you have a lot of cases, that means please get your logs in. <laughs> 11 of our 12 courts use mediation. Uh, Northeast, all four courts use them there. Two at downtown, two at southwest, one at Santan, and then two standalones in the East Valley. Um, I don't have a lot of, of uh, current complaints to share with you, um, but the ones that I do, I think I've already talked about. Um, if you're poking holes in the party's case, I know that's one of our mediator moves. I've gotten some com uh, a complaint or two that they're perceived as biased, but really our complaints are very rare. And with that, I'm going to move on to real party and interest and ask Judge Huberman to, um, we won't go through all of these slides, but talk a little bit about this issue. Hi. Is that Eric Holder? On the slide? I got covered. That's our, the picture is uh, from Bing Creative Commons licensing, and it is just a public domain photo of a attorney. It's the ex attorney general. <laughs> so sorry, I did the I messed it up. That's okay. I, I was just curious as to how it fit into the topic, but um, so. The, the, I guess the, 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 the number one issue that everyone has is uh, do we need to bring the real party and in interest to the mediation? Um, I, we, before we did this uh, conference today, uh, we, <coughs> Susan Charles and I had a really lively conversation on this topic uh, because I don't normally require the real party and in interest to appear, um, but they may be see, uh, you know, why uh, might be necessary in certain cases. Uh, so I would say, first of all, the first thing you need to do is follow whatever it is that your judge uh, requires. If the judge doesn't want the mediation to go forward without the real party and in interest there, then you need to follow whatever the, 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 the policy of that court that you're working in is. Um, and if the courts require the the, the, the party to be uh, actually waived, you know, that they want uh, the party to file a waiver in interest, um, then make sure that you have that waiver in the file uh, before you're proceeding with just the attorney. Um, I find personally that most of these cases when they are 
um, collecting cases, the real party in interest has really no interest in coming to these type of conferences. And that is why they hire the attorneys. They want the attorneys to take care of it. But definitely it has to be attorney. We always put a disclosure on the forms in my court saying that the attorney must have um, must, must have authority to negotiate in the case. Because to bring someone who then ends up saying, well, I don't have the authority to negotiate, why are we going through all this exercise that is going to get us nowhere? Um, so, but I find that the, the collection law firms are really pretty good about allowing their attorneys uh, to negotiate on their behalf. And they do, they do pretty well. They're, they're pretty creative with the negotiations that they do. That's what I see. I mean, it could be that in, in different areas of the Valley, it might be a different experience, but I find uh, that they allow some people to, to pay a lump sum for less than half of what's owed. They allow some people to pay $75 a month, um, maybe for five years, but they allow them to pay a very small amount. And so I see that the attorneys actually have this authority, and so I am okay with allowing them uh, to do that. I do see how in certain cases, if you have a liability case or an accident case, uh, where you really might need the real party and interest there because, you know, the, the, the attorney might not have the ability to say, well, yes, I can uh, accept that, you know, he did fix your car really poorly and so we're going to pay you. You know, that, that they might need that party to be there for that. So I think it would kind of be dependent on the different cases. Um, a lot of these attorneys are in-house attorneys. So... They, they have much more, you know, connection because they are part of the, 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 the plaintiffs themselves and so they can negotiate in a different way than an attorney that was hired uh, from a separate law firm.
either one of them had a letter authorizing their specific appearance. And so I said, hey, why don't we go ahead and continue this matter out for, it was already set for trial, it was the day of the trial, and I was going through the file, and noticed that neither one of them had those authorizations to appear. So I, I think I erred on the side of safety and said, hey, let's go ahead and make sure that the corporation wants you to be the one to represent the company in this case. And so I gave them a few weeks to come back and, and have that, because it is really important um, that the right person is appearing in the right type of case. Um, and I think that's laid out here in the slide very well. There's also a, another form, I think, that's been handed out previously. It just really clearly lays it out, but if you ever have any questions, Rule 31 of the Arizona Supreme Court rules um, breaks it down very well. And that other page is uh, the last page of your packet, uh, which does have the chart of who is authorized to appear. And as Judge Hedinger just indicated, the type of case really matters because uh, this slide is just for regular civil. Uh, but if, it's, if you're going to do a small claims mediation, there are other people who can appear in those matters. Uh, most importantly, a, a husband can represent a wife and vice versa for small claims. That is not the case in a regular civil matter. Uh, keep a copy of that chart handy, because sometimes these can get kind of tricky. Also for small claims, if we're going to have a management company, uh, a management company for an HMO, there are situations where they can appear. Uh, so there is a separate statute and the small claims rules that are going to apply for small claims. Uh, so just keep a copy of that chart if, if you ever have any questions about who can appear. And some courts, as Judge Hedinger uh, may have indicated, for small claims, uh, they'll specifically want that letter authorizing an employee to appear. Other courts will not require necessarily that letter. They'll just swear the person in and ask, are you authorized to represent um, this person in small claims court? And they've moved down here to 
2,200, and then you move to 1,500, and then they move to 1,800, and you know, look at the progress we've made, and you can see where the starting points are and where they get to, and it kind of gets, if they get encouraged when they can see it. So I do that. Um, breaking up the claims, I've seen other mediators do this, you know, break up, this is how much you want for this amount, this is what you want for this, this is how much the kitchen cabinets were, this is how much the plumbing was, you know, the claims, that's been helpful, and negotiate each portion. Um, drawing a map. Uh, or a picture of the case has been really helpful on the whiteboard. We did that. Um, the mediator's cup of coffee is, you know, I'm, I'm going to, you just put them both in two rooms or you caucus them and then you go get a cup of coffee, leave them alone. You just chill out for a little while and come back and magic happens after that. Um, the mediator, this is my favorite one, I kind of sit back and I go, okay. And I just kind of like lean back, like, you know. So, yeah, you guys are going to, you're not, you're not really reaching an agreement. And just kick, kick back and they go, oh, wait, 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 uh, wait, I have an idea. And, and the Hail Mary, I've never done the Hail Mary, but the Hail Mary is my friend says, you know, I'm thinking of a number. There's a number. You know, it's just, it's just random. It's just, let me just throw this out there. Just, to, you know, and I think she must do it in caucus. And she says, that's work too. That's what I. I like the, I really do like the I give up um, because. As we got to remember, remember, at the end of the day, it's not mediator, it's not our case, it's the party's case. Don't be more invested than they are. If they want to do it, that's great, and that's awesome that we can be facilitators of it. But gosh, at the end of the day, let them own it. Don't make it your own, your own problem, you know? And they can, they can hopefully take that ownership at that point. It's a good opportunity for them to do it. Thank you for raising your hand. Okay, there's uh, something that I think is always very important also is the value of today. So when you get them and they're stuck and they're $200 apart and you say, is it worth $200 to you to get it done today, right? Is it going to cost you $200? How much is it going to cost you to go and do these all this discovery stuff. How much is it going to cost you? Is that going to cost you $200? So you're telling me, right? So if you go through with that, that's something that tends to work when people, well, it doesn't always work, right? But um, it's a really good strategy when people get stuck. So that's that. I've been wondering if the online is going to make that less useful because we used to say, a whole other day off work and a whole other day of coming down here. Do you really want to go through and now online? Oh, yeah, I just got on Zoom again. Judge, judges are nodding your head, so maybe you guys should think the same thing. Okay, well, I always thought of this online thing as a way to bring more people to court, people who can't take time off work, or who it's not worth taking time off work, and now you're giving me a negative for it. Now I don't know, but um, I still I still think it's a good. Um, I, I still think it would that the idea, you know, is it worth two hundred dollars to take time off to do this again? I think it's still worth trying. Well, what's it worth you to put this behind you today? And I think Art sent these to me. Um, so thank you for doing that. Art's really good about making sure I have all of the, the most up-to-date research on everything. Um, this is some research stuff. Uh, there was a good a good article. It looks like it came out right before we did our last, right after we did our last mediator um, co-judge. 
in person. So I don't think I've talked about this, but if I have, I apologize. But a couple of surprises, time spent in caucus um, was associated with negative outcomes in small claims court cases. And offering your own solutions to the parties, that Hail Mary, that's why I don't really like it, um, also had long-term negative associations in small claims court cases. So those are two things that participants did not think were helpful or useful. What they did like was eliciting solutions from them, um, and they did, uh, and they did like being able to speak and, and have being empowered, as you might have guessed. So that's what I've got on that. And I think with that, we are going to move to um, that's just a transitional slide, having a great, uh, a great piece of great uh, state of mind. And I, I don't know, Judge uh, Hedinger, if you saw this underneath the slide, but you had volunteered to talk about this slide. And that was a little, yeah, but, uh, but this is. I don't know. Feel free to, to chime in. This is this is just whatever you. I think you were going to talk about how do you regenerate yourself. I think it's a really nice um, thing to think about. So one of the things that helps is uh, Ken Diamond will stop by the office. He'll swing by my room here. We'll talk about how we're trying to refinance our homes and what what's the best company to use is. I'm um, just getting to just have nice conversations with staff, um, with other people in the courthouse, talking to my wife about the cases. Um, I feel like that really is kind of therapeutic and helpful. And just to kind of keep grounded and say like, hey, I did this today. You know, I think I messed this up. Like, how can I fix this in the future? going on a walk with the dog and just going over your day and before going into a mediation or into the courtroom, just really taking a two or three deep breaths, especially when you know you're going to have a um, difficult litigant or difficult case, to just really just be as calm and kind as possible. I think it really is worth it every time to err on that side versus the kind of authoritative, like, I'm in charge. It just never has worked out for me super well. <laughs> um, so those are kind of some of the things, and obviously taking time away is super helpful. That reflection helps. And doing things like this today, I mean, I've gotten a lot of great tips, especially from Professor Hinshaw here, about how I can change and how I can be better. So coming to these kinds of things is helpful as well. And I think we that's great. I agree. I, I was not sure how this was going to work today either, and it was so wonderful to get on and just talk to everybody so far. We'll have a little bit more time for that. Um, Josh Huber and I think you and I had a really great conversation about this slide. This comes from uh, one of my former colleagues, Marjorie Silver, but it's uh, some questions that you might find useful. Do you want to take us through these? I thought that the conversation was that I was looking forward to hearing someone else talk about these, but um, I, uh, I, I found, I mean, Susan brought these up as a, as a mediation issue, and I was like, you know, this still applies to all of us as judges also. I mean, a lot of these questions just really uh, stood out as as something, uh, you know, just I, I, I think it's something that we need to look out for a lot of these things, um, you know, to make sure that you're, you're, you're stepping back. Again, I like what Judge Hedinger said about how this, it's their case, not our case, and kind of we leave it up to them. And... So, you know, be careful that you're not over-identifying or that you don't feel something for one of the parties, that you really want this guy to lose because there's something about him that just bugs you. Um, those kind of things, you know, it happens to all of us, I think, when, when, and especially, I mean, I'm sure as mediators, the same thing happens. You see the same parties over and over again, and you get to know them, but you have to look at each case as a brand-new case. You cannot bring 
uh, whatever came from the other case into the case today because the other party is different and the case itself might be different. Um, not all cases are the same, even though it is the same attorney. Um, I one of the ones that I was really was, do I feel bored with the party? Uh, I think that that's, um, I think it happens to the best of us, right? You know, there, there's some people that, that just the way they, they speak or something that just makes it monotonous, that you don't want to listen to it. And I would suggest that now on this new platform, if we're going to do it by video, where it is, you're not there, and it's probably easier to not realize that you're not engaging, uh, to be even more careful with that. Mm -hmm. So, I, I mean, I, I just, I think that this is all uh, really good for introspection, you know, for everyone to look at themselves and make sure that you're not falling into any of these things. Um, I, I, I think this, I, 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 was, I really like this list. I'm hoping someone else can add something to this more than I can. I think. So, yeah, what? Well, what I was going to add is that uh, this also can tie into implicit bias and, and what you need to look out for when you're interacting with people. If, if you have dealt with attorneys before, you know, you have to be careful not to give off that vibe of, oh no, here, here we are with him again or with her again. Um, you, you can almost have an implicit bias toward parties that you've dealt with before. and can open it up for comments. We have a good, nice, solid 10 minutes or so left uh, to talk about this or any other topics that you would like to, but I, I'm um, going to open it up to everybody. You should be able to unmute yourself. If not, chat me. I have a question about microphones that might work best. Does anybody have any experience with a, a good sounding microphone for a laptop or, or for doing online mediation. Anybody? Just just use the laptop microphone. Whatever you have there sounds great. <laughs> okay. I mean, I think with the sound, the only issue is um, because you have someone with uh, that's not muted and there's some background noise by filter in. That happens more with actual phones than with the computers um, and the internet connection. You know, that, that, that's, I think, the, the, the major thing is that people, if they have spotty Wi-Fi, you're going to have a spotty, spotty mediation or a spotty conference. Uh, but I don't, I, I mean, obviously this not to be too far away from the microphone, but I don't think there's so much of a difference. I think these integrated microphones on the laptops in particular are very good. Yeah, Susan, I, I still have the question on confidentiality. I really want clarification on that because an attorney that um, is pretty well respected, their interpreta his interpretation was that you cannot even tell a related party about what occurred during the mediation. 
and I read the statutes and everything, and it all points to non-disclosure at trial as opposed to talking to family members or friends or relatives about what occurred at the mediation itself. All right, Susan, do you want me to, you want me to address this question? Yes. Okay. All right, so yes, if you take a look at the uh, Arizona statute, uh, confidentiality statute, you will see that, uh, and this is not unusual in state confidentiality statutes, they will say this, the first thing, they'll have a very declarative statement, mediation is confidential, period. And so basically what that means is you go to the dictionary to see what confidential means. That means nobody can say anything to anyone. Um, and then, of course, it goes into talking about what happens in subsequent proceedings. So this attorney is correct in that under the statute, you're not supposed to talk with anybody about anything at all. Um, and that's for parties. Here's the rub. The rub is there's no enforcement mechanism. It just says it's confidential. So if you were going to bring a claim saying that somebody uh, violated a confidentiality provision, you'd have to show damages just like any other case. And if that person cannot show damages, then oh well. Maybe if you, like if they say, I'm gonna have a press conference and I'm gonna talk about X, Y, Z, you could get injunctive relief, right? But for most situations, you're not gonna have that um, ahead of time. So that's number one. While technically correct, uh, practically in applying it, it's more of a warning than anything else because most people, it doesn't impact people in a way that ends up with financial damages. Now, if somebody really cares about this, they can put in two ki kinds of provisions in their agreement. The first is a clawback provision, which says if you disclose what happened, then you give us everything back that we've given you. And those um, kinds of provisions have been upheld in court. There's a case out of Florida, suits in some state, where, uh, a, where a guy was suing his um, a headmaster of a fancy private school got terminated suddenly. And uh, he sued them, and they came to a financial agreement in mediation, and there was a clawback provision on this confidentiality thing. So he went home, and he told two people, he told his wife and his daughter, this case is resolved, they're giving me X amount of money. And that's it, it's done, you know, thank goodness. And then his daughter went and posted on a Facebook those so-and-sos at the school, blah, 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 they know that they're guilty, they paid my dad X amount of money. And the, floor, the, the school, the fancy school sued and said, okay, we want our money back, give it to us, and that was upheld at the Court of Appeals in Florida that the money did go back because he had violated that provision. So you can have a clawback or you can have liquidated damages, right? Liquidated, liquidated damages are simply, if there is a violation, then you owe us whatever, you know, $100, 200 whatever they agree on the amount being. Okay. okay. Uh, so, so technically that was correct. So that was a long explanation for a pretty easy answer. Sorry about that. It helps a lot. Thank you. Deborah? You need to unmute yourself.
business and customs. Uh, a lot of the people are adding the social media component. And in some cases, was actually the deal making was that nothing was going to be posted and none of the. And that seems like almost in business now, I almost, it's almost a given that that's going to come up. And they'll be very strong and asking no reviews. And, um, and that seems to be what sometimes they're willing to pay that extra to have that part of the development. Interesting. And Art, you have a comment about the data. Did you want to loop back on that topic? You'll need to unmute. Yeah. Um, so the data that you're talking about from the studies on small claims cases, just an FYI, that was from Maryland. And um, in Maryland, small claims cases are all cases of $10,000 or less. So the things and same kind of rules for our small claims cases. You know, no fewer attorneys and things along those lines. And so part of the reason for this is that, you know, you're not hand in like superior court, typically you hand the case over to the experts and the experts do their expert thing. I would be the lawyers, right? They do all that stuff. In in a small claims court or justice court, right, we have people who don't know those things. And so they're not experienced in mediation, et cetera. And so that's why I think that's where these results are coming from um, on, yes, on time spent in caucus, more negative outcomes. And, you know, you don't caucus just because it's, that's what you do. You do it because you need to do it. Um, um, and I think that's really the lesson to learn on that one with caucus and offering your own solution. I think part of the problem is that a lot of people who are in mediation roles are people who are experts in disputing. And they've seen a lot of these. I mean, how many times have all of us mediators seen cases where the defendant admits they owe the $3,500 on the credit card in the answer? I mean, we know what's going to happen there. And we're not here just to say, okay, well, you lose. They don't like that. <laughs> right? So um, we just be mindful of those things. So that's, that's, I'm done. Thank you. That goes <laughs> back to the counter transference. I can get frustrated with the case and the people and just feel like, oh my goodness, there's obvious that you need to do this, you know, and that I want to, you know, say that, and I don't. Obviously, I don't. But I sit back and go, well, well. Well, we are, um, it is 11.29, we have a minute left. I am, uh, if I don't get kicked off, this platform, I'll stay on for another five, ten minutes and just collect any questions, thoughts, comments, or share any more ideas. I'm happy to do that with everybody because it's really, like I said, it's really great to see everybody. Um, and for those folks who haven't spoken, could you all just introduce yourself really quickly and just say, Dr. Shapiro. Hello. <laughs> You know, Susan, I'd like to uh, actually get back on the roster. How would I be able to sit in with someone just to get back into the saddle? Uh, okay, we during well, this. I can look at that after. Good. And is it Susan and John? I think we've heard from you. Susan, can't hear you. 
Yeah, hi. My, uh, my name is John Campbell. I'm, I'm one of the new mediators here, and uh, I'm, I'm looking to get back in. I've, I've, you know, I'm probably this next month. I'll, I'll jump back into it. And Susan, is there a word moving forward? I mean, if what what the format might be. I mean, we've talked about video today and, and telephonic also in your email. What what might be the format moving forward? Um. So, you know, I, I mean, I think a lot of it is going to depend on the individual justice. From what I hear in some of our meetings, it sounds like there's some judges who just really want to go back. Um, I mean, is it normal? Uh, I think that's what everybody's been talking about, you know, going back to normal. Um, uh, I, to me, I interpret that as going back to how things used to be. Uh, I personally have a really hard time with envisioning going back to how things used to be for many different reasons. Um, one of them being uh, the, the, just the physical aspect of it. Uh, of how, you know, how are you as a mediator going to sit in a room with someone? Uh, how are you going to be? How are you going to feel comfortable doing that? Um, and additionally, because of the administrative order rules, that you're not to be within closer than 60. There's actual rules in the courts that you have to follow. But then additionally, what I explained before is how I've seen so many benefits uh, to doing this. It's something that we need to consider going forward. What do we want our courts to look like? Uh, and I definitely want to incorporate technology, uh, but, you know, but that's me personally. I can't speak to the bench, so it's hard to know. Um, someone mentioned that they wanted to sit with someone to learn. You know, I don't know what the possibilities of that happening anytime soon are. You know, when are you going to be able to sit with someone? I have hearing officers that I haven't been able to train, and I don't know when that's going to happen because we don't have that ability anymore. So I, I, thank you, Judge. I asked that question. Um, could I sit in on a, on a, a video conference uh, and, and just be in, as long as all parties agree, I could sit with my mic muted and observe again and then become more f familiar with the paperwork all over again. I don't know, I, mean, I understood that, but, but I'm just saying it's just, you know, you hear the word, the way we talk about things, you know, who knows? Who knows what it's going to look like? But I, I do anticipate that you will find that different judges will be doing, you know, will be moving at different paces. Um, and I think that that's just a matter of, you know, you adapting to what those judges, uh, the way they want to do it, and how you feel comfortable doing it also. Because everybody needs to feel secure in what they're doing. Well, let me uh, thank everybody, especially our presenters, uh, judges, Superman and Hedinger and Charles for Adonetto for being here and for presenting, being part of this. Um, like I said, I think we uh, stopped the recording. Um, this conference is no longer being recorded. Go. Um, and thank you for your time. I want to be respectful of your time, but again, I'm going to stay on the line for a little while longer, and I'll just unmute everybody so we can well.
unmute yourself if you'd like to, to, to chat. And Susan, I don't think we, did you get your 